Welcome to Sound DeFi, the podcast that delivers key insights from today's thought leaders on all things DeFi, blockchain, crypto, and private market asset data. I'm your host, Chris Burry. We got an incredible, incredible guest with us uh, right now. He was just on stage with the chairman and CEO of Invenium, Patrick O'Meara, but it's Mike Komaransky. He's the partner and co-founder of Grapefruit Trading and one of the originators, if you will, according to Patrick, of Bitcoin within the United States, or at least one of the first adopters. Is that a fair yeah, assessment? I found it early and uh, I adopted it early and uh, I brought it into trading early. So early all around, you mentioned you're uh, interviewing thought leaders. So uh, I don't think I'm a thought leader. Uh, I think Satoshi and Vitalik are thought leaders. I'm more of a follower. but. An early follower, so maybe that's worth something. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind, I mean, just yeah. share with us your story because uh, it was very captivating to hear your journey through the space, and you made some other comments that we'll get to later as well. Okay, so on stage, I didn't say this, but uh, I, I I discovered Bitcoin in 2010 because I was very very skeptical of the government's ability to uh, issue sound money. I was always worried that they could print more whenever they wanted to. Certain governments were already doing that, U.S., not so much. But in 2010, while I was searching for something like Bitcoin, I saw the white paper in an economics blog, and I said, oh, my God, this is what I'm looking for. So that was 2010, and uh, really I clicked on the link and uh, fell in love with it immediately. So that was 2010, and then if you fast forward to today, I know there's a lot in between, but uh, I've created two trading companies that, that traded Bitcoin for dollars. Um, where there were no companies before. I'm a Bitcoin advocate. What else can I say? Uh, I'm a derivatives trader, so I helped innovate in a couple different new types of Bitcoin derivatives. I'm an investor. I'm an investor in Invenium. Just all around crypto guy. That's how I describe it. What do you say to Bitcoin naysayers? Oh, I think crypto naysayers, I would say they're wrong. They're historically wrong and in the future if you continue to ignore it or say it's not going to work uh, they will be wrong i think crypto will replace all of fiat maybe not in our lifetimes but uh, it it has to it's just a protocol it's just an algorithm in the same way email is a protocol or algebra is just a set of rules those things they won't go away just because people don't like them the things that go away are the fiat instruments issued by governments in times of pandemic, for example. If you want to fight your way out of a virus by printing more paper, that's not the best way to go about your currency. Well, you just read my mind. I was going to ask you, since back in 2010, it sounds like you're questioning the currency or maybe the USD. So you look at where we are today. We've printed trillions and trillions of dollars fairly arbitrarily. Now you see Saudi Arabia and China talking about trading oil and the yuan rather than the USD. Yeah. Just, I'm curious... Maybe this is too strong of a question for you, but when does the USD die? Um, it, first of all, it won't go down without a fight. No government wants to lose monetary control. No government wants to. So they're going to go after the choke points. What's the choke point for Bitcoin? It's where the dollars meet the Bitcoins. So at an exchange, at a place like Grapefruit Trading. And I know this is true because the regulators, they're making our lives harder and harder. And we'll comply by all means. We're, we're complying right now. But we have to provide more information. The KYC AML is getting harder. Uh, we're spending more and more money on lawyers and compliance officers instead of connecting to exchanges or other type of infrastructure. So it's getting harder. And you can feel the fight coming. Um, when the fight gets too hard, 
grapefruit trading will stop doing what they're doing, but it doesn't mean that, that Bitcoin or crypto goes away. It just means obtaining it will be harder. So going back to your question, when will the USD die? If I have to predict, it'll be printed to death. That's the way all currencies usually die. And um, I think the median, the median length of any currency is 41 years. So uh, how old is the euro? We have to be approaching that. Looks like the euro will, will make it beyond 41 years. Uh, I think the USD will probably be no longer recognizable to you and me in, let's say, 150 years. Wow, that, that's actually, I think, generous. I mean, in a certain extent, if you look at what happened in 1971 and whatnot. So you didn't say this exact, so I don't put words in your mouth, but you did allude to, you know, money is like water, right? It goes to the place of least resistance. Do you think that you're going to see more and more capital leaving the United States because of the regulations you're alluding to? Oh, that's probably too broad of a question for me to know. I don't know. That's geopolitically <laughs> requires a lot of foresight. Um, I, I don't know. I, I know that... Um, more countries are getting into crypto than uh, than ever. There's reason to. I think the dollar has been pretty fortunate up until now. Uh, it's just a matter of time before that capital goes away. Because one of the things I really appreciate you talked about is you're doing the ATMs down in El Salvador. And I look at how many people there were unbankable, but now are bankable because of what the president of El Salvador is doing. As you look at Africa and other countries where many people are unbankable, where do you see this going in that area to be able to bank more people? Yeah, bank the unbanked. Very, very important priority. Uh, I love that idea. I think the El Salvador experiment is actually going about it the wrong way. I'm happy to help get people crypto. I'm, I'm happy to put it in their hands. But El Salvador is doing it by like uh, a diktat of the state. They're saying... It's legal tender, which means you have to accept it. As a merchant, if you own a small convenience store, you now legally have to accept Bitcoin. And if you don't have the infrastructure, well, that's on you. Um, I don't think that's the right way to do it. I, I prefer a government to say, uh, it's okay to use Bitcoin. It's not illegal. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. So El Salvador went kind of a little bit too far in, on the extreme of, of crypto. Uh, somewhere in between is just like, you know, light regulation from a government saying, hey, we recognize that this is this is important. We recognize that people want it. We recognize that it's helping people. And it, we don't want it to destabilize our currency. We don't want it to lead to terrorism or, or, or very bad things. So we're going to keep an eye on it, but we're not going to either control it or force you to use it. You said today that not everyone wants to be their own bank. I've been talking about that on my show a lot about at least educate yourself to be your own bank because I saw what happened in Canada and just some arbitrary emergency acts that allow them to stop credit cards and accounts. And yeah. so maybe be your own bank is not the right term, but I guess how, how do we create Don't, less friction? For, certainly be your own bank if okay, you want thank to. You. Be your own bank if you want to. That's the important part. I'm just saying there's certain people out there uh, who don't want to be their own bank. I think when they say that in crypto, it means hold on to your money. Don't, don't leave your money at an exchange. Don't leave it at a third party. Because one day, that third party might, for whatever reason, it might get hacked. It might be taken over by a government. Uh, that money isn't yours because you're not holding on to it. So crypto allows you to hold on to something of value. Now, you don't have to. So uh, it's very nice to be your own bank. But if you're not comfortable with the security issues involved, or maybe you're waiting for the security to get better, that's a reasonable stance. So be your own bank if you want to. It doesn't have the same. It doesn't have the same punch. No, it doesn't. Be, be your own bank if you want. To. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I still like that you're going down that path. The other thing that jumped out to me is you talked about the commerce piece and just mm-hmm. you said the slow rate of adoption from from businesses. What do you think the friction is there and how do we get more businesses to say, yeah, I'll take crypto? I think it's a big lift up front saying, okay, uh, I'm a merchant. I'm willing to accept crypto. What, is it, what does it mean? What do I have to do? And there's a big learning curve. And uh, the number of people willing to spend their crypto uh, probably doesn't justify the cost of, of setting it up. That might be the perception. That might be the reality. In either case, uh, onboarding a merchant with crypto has to be easier. Storing and securing your Bitcoin has to be easier before you start seeing more pickup. And then on the, the using side, people have to want to spend their crypto. Um, I want to spend my crypto. I'm sure a lot of, people, a lot of listeners want to spend their crypto. Uh, depends on, depending on what crypto you have, spending your crypto comes with a cost, uh, like a direct cost that you have to pay to the miners. So in certain instances last year, you know, if you want to send your Ether to someone, if you want to send $50 to buy something in, in Ethereum, you have to spend $10 in fees. Okay, so you're cutting off a massive part of the economy by doing that. Uh, so I'm looking at cryptos that are cheaper to spend, cheaper to use, and there's not many of them. So you can have scalability or security. That's uh, scalability, security, and privacy. I think it's the trilemma. You choose two of the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious because you and Pat touched on this. You're one of the investors in Invenium. You've got an incredible background in the space. What made you say... Yeah, Pat, I think I want to uh, put some capital into this. And what, what do you see in Invenium that said, I want to make an investment here? Uh, Invenium was a different company when, when Pat came back to me. And like I said on stage, I was a, I was a blockchain skeptic. I, I didn't like separating blockchain from Bitcoin. I thought that was a mistake. But um, he started talking about tokenizing real estate. And that was very interesting, being able to, to unlock capital markets through the act of tokenization. That was, that was a, new, a new idea back then. And although skeptical, I'm like, I don't want to miss this bus. <laughs> so that's what, it's the only, only real blockchain company that I invested in was Invenium. And uh, it's been a wild ride. It's been, it's been fun, for sure. Um, I can see you processing information. I feel like you know so much in this space. I feel like I'm kind of a newbie. So. Uh, I mean, I'd be asking you the best question. So what, what do you think is the most important thing people should know in this space, in your opinion? Most important thing, uh, don't give away your passwords. <laughs> Basic. I like that. I don't, I, it. don't give away your passwords. I've seen, I gave away my password on stage today. Oh, that was stupid. <laughs> I don't use that password anymore. <laughs> no, uh, really l- learn, learn the basics of security. Like, mm. There will be stupid mistakes. You will lose your money. These are digital assets. Um, humankind has been very good at at storing physical assets, you know, for hundreds of thousands of years. You know, that's my stick over there. Don't touch it. I know how to keep that stick safe. But once we digitize something, once we tokenize it, and there's only one or two copies of that digital thing, humans get very bad at, at storing that information securely. It's silly to think about, but like we've only had digital assets for you know a couple decades. So please learn uh, safety and hygiene with your digital assets. Uh, learn where it's important to be private and when it's okay to be transparent. Um, once you leave a digital footprint somewhere, it's, it's there forever. Uh, these, these are basics, but I think they're, they're very important. 
in our digital world. Um, last question. So what was it in Satoshi's paper that put the light on for you? And then somebody asked you today, will we ever find out who Satoshi was? I'd like you to address that too, please. <laughs> So the white paper is really accessible, and I'm, I'm always surprised at how few people have read it. It is not technical. If it's, if it's technical, it's on, on page four or five where it gets technical. But uh, please, go out and read the first paragraph. It's amazing. And uh, Satoshi's view, I think, aligns with mine, um, or my, sorry, my view aligns with Satoshi, which he, he said in the first paragraph alone that uh, we've had to trust governments not to, to print more money, and we see constant violations of that trust. So he invented something, uh, Bitcoin, with a limited supply, and it's not limited by a governing body. He says all this. It's, it's not limited by a, a man or a corporation or a government. It's limited by mathematics. So I'm like, whoa, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, and who do I think Satoshi is? Uh, I think it was... Uh, oh God. If I'm wrong, you guys will roast me in, no, in, in no, decades. No, 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 in decades, no. you will. No. I think if you look at the, the text analysis and some of the history of the early Bitcoin programmers and people on the forums, uh, Satoshi was, was among us. He was talking uh, as himself and not Satoshi. Uh, the text analysis is the biggest clue. Can you give us a hint? That was the hint. <laughs> I, I think there was a guy who, who did a lot of crypto stuff in the past. And when he, when he writes, when you read his, his blog or his writings or his emails under his real name, and you compare them to the white paper and you compare them to the Satoshi posts on Bitcoin Talk, they're very similar. They feel the same. Um, super well-educated. Uh, probably American, at least English speaking, um, and they even know like what hours he was writing. They know what time he was awake based on the po the time of the posts. So you can kind of locate him where he was physically in the world. And a lot of these signs point to to a guy. Um, yeah, I don't want to name the names. In West in the Western United States, <laughs> too specific. <laughs> Thank you for the time and the insights. Really a pleasure to meet you, and uh, congrats on all your success. Thanks. Pleasure. Thank you. At Sound DeFi, the podcast that delivers key insights from today's thought leaders on all things DeFi, blockchain, crypto, and private market asset data.